This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. Hi, I'm Kimberly Agoen, and this is Reset. Nearly 400,000 students started school today in Chicago, and for now, they're doing it remotely. And while that may be the safest option during the pandemic, remote learning may create extra barriers for the district's homeless population. An estimated 16,500 students who rely on schools for internet access and other resources. So how is CPS reaching these students? And what will the long-term impact be on their education? Alyssa Phillips is an education attorney at the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless, and she joins us now on the line. Alyssa, welcome to Reset. Hi, so glad to be here. Thank you. And also with us is Nicole Branch. She's a case manager at the Sylvia Center. That's a homeless shelter in Uptown. Nicole, welcome to the program. Hello. Uh, Alyssa, I'll start with you. Give us a sense of how many students are experiencing homelessness in Chicago and how the numbers have changed. So right now, there is over 16,000 students in um, CPS who are identified as experiencing homelessness. Um, And always remember that these are students who are identified. So we know that this is most likely an undercount as there are, you know, students who do not get identified. Um, And we've seen these numbers fluctuate, obviously, with enrollment in CPS going down, down. That also, we have seen the number going down, but we also know that that is an issue that has to do with identifying homeless students properly and making sure that there is enough capacity for um, students in temporary living situations, the liaisons to identify students and other staff in the school to have the training to be able to identify and connect students to the STLS program. Well, Alyssa, do you think that that means that there are a lot of students who will not come out and say that they're homeless? So I think that's definitely an issue. Um, And one of the things is the unique definition that's in the McKinney-Vento Homeless Assistance Act law. The law um, includes students who are experiencing homelessness by living sharing housing with others due to um, an economic reason. So What we call doubled up. Kind of, yes. And so, you know, there are students, there are families who maybe don't know that they qualify um, as experiencing homelessness. I think there's also a stigma still around it, and I think there can be some fear um, around, you know, saying that. And so I think, you know, one of the requirements in the law is making sure that students are sensitively identified um, you know, the privacy is used so that families do feel comfortable. Um, and one thing that we always think is really important is, you know, when you do your registration and enrollment, that you have questions around housing that go to every single family so that you can really get that information in a 
sensitive manner of everyone um, to make sure that students who are at risk of homelessness or who are experiencing it in different forms um, are identified by the school. Well, Nicole, talk about some of the challenges these students are facing on a daily basis and how it's only been amplified during COVID-19. So I'm actually here with our program supervisor, Amanda Lerman. So one of the biggest issues for us was um, actually having an educational space. Since all of our families are in one room and a lot of them have multiple children, yeah, can be very difficult for them all to be able to stay focused, most importantly. And it's also kind of draining for the for the parent because it's taken about four adults here now working with about 15 kids and we're all over the place today. Mm. Even right now, you know, it's almost one o'clock. Um, this is Amanda, by the way. It's Hi, almost Amanda. one o'clock and we are still working on getting kids logged in and on school because you know there's like login information password resets internet issues so it's just kind of going through those barriers one at a time to get all the kids up and going which we're getting there i think we have them all logged in at this point but the first week or two is going to be an adjustment for the kids for the staff for the parents it's definitely uh different times right now yeah Wow. Alyssa, how is the city addressing additional barriers for homeless students? So I know one thing that we really advocated for was that um, students who are experiencing homelessness, um, that CPS gives them computing devices and um, mobile hotspots um, for Wi-Fi. And so CPS did agree to give every family in the SCLS program computing devices and hotspots. Um, but I think at the beginning of distance learning, um, that was a huge struggle. Um, I think another way that CPS is, you know, providing some support and, you know, we continue to advocate needs to provide a lot of support around is just training for how for parents for how to use the CPS portal. Um, you know, there's a lot of families who, are, you know, maybe don't have as much experience with technology um, and so making sure that there is kind of a very clear place. I know CPS has a hotline for tech support, so making sure that that hotline is fully staffed is really important and that it's really advertised well. Um, I think one thing we really saw at the beginning of distance learning was not every family who's experiencing homelessness has data on their cell phone. They might have a device, but not data. And so making sure that kind of families are given information in multiple ways and not just, you know, robo phone calls, but that it's on social media, that it's on email, that it's hard copy mail, that it's calls, kind of all these ways to make sure all those resources and connection points like access to food and who to call if they have a question and where to go if there's an issue with logging in, um, that families have kind of multiple ways to get that information. That's really good. You know, um, Nicole or Amanda, the Sylvia Center recently converted several rooms into classrooms for homeless students. And we know that you're saying that right now you're in a larger room split up with different students, different ages. How are you all doing that? This is Amanda. Um, what we did is we converted some of the family rooms on our fourth floor into classrooms. So they're not big by any mean, but every single child has their own desk, their own backpack, their own headphones, um, their own school supplies. And this is all possible because of 
the staff at Courtney Language Arts Elementary School, and then the community members that have been buying out our Amazon wish list, that have been calling, asking what they can donate. They've made it possible for every single one of our kids to have these supplies. And then what's even more awesome is they're making it possible for me to have extra supplies for when new families move in. I can get them set up with school so they start within the next day, hopefully. I want to bring in another voice into this conversation. April Harris, who is a CPS parent, her daughter Madison starts the ninth grade today and her son Gregory starts the sixth grade on Friday. April, welcome to Reset. Yes, thank you so much for having me today. Thank you. Uh, How are you feeling? How are you guys feeling and doing on the first day of school? overwhelmed um as you know both my kids are in cps schools right now this high school that my daughter is in they didn't get to me till last week to tell me what i needed to bring in and get her stuff oh which was kind of aggravating i wish both my kids are different you know and i always Mm -hmm. feel like i don't agree with there's no such thing as as people unable to learn everybody learns different you know so my daughter is, is 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 a very fast learner. My son has an IEP. You okay. know what I mean? Yes, individual so education plan. Right, exactly. And um, basically with his IEP, I had to fight for his IEP, but I got it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get it. And you know what? I, but, but also your family has experienced homelessness. So tell us a little bit of how you've been dealing with that in addition to having two children at this point, they're at separate schools because one is in ninth grade and one is in sixth grade. So how are you making this all come together, April? Well, right now, we've finally been blessed with housing. Great. Which housing through Lucha, which is nice. That's what we want to hear. Um, yes, yes, and God is good. But it is hard when you are homeless. Me and my family were homeless twice. Yeah. Before we were blessed with permanent housing. And as you know, it's a very daunting experience, especially on the kids. Thank God I didn't have, we weren't homeless during this epidemic. Does okay. that make sense? No, that, that does. It, it is hard because when you're in a shelter, you don't have access to Wi-Fi. You don't have access to the Internet. You know what I mean? And even when the remote learning started and we, and we were in our housing, uh, we had issues with the Chromebooks that the school was giving us. But you, but you were given Chromebooks, and what, others, what other resources have you received from CPS? Um, we were given Chromebooks, and we were given, um, like, like a sheet to show us how the kids log in each day and, like, their itinerary and, like, what they need to do and stuff like that. Good. It was very self-explanatory, but it was hard sometimes because when my daughter would use her Chromebook last year because some of her teachers weren't getting the work, so she had to do it on her phone. And then my son's Chromebook was acting up, too. So we were constantly taking it back and forth to the schools trying to get it fixed. And it, I found out we weren't the only family that was having that issue. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, April, I want to thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. That's CPS parent April Harris. Best of luck to you and your family this school year and beyond. It sounds like you three are on the right track. Yes, we are. Thank yes, you. we are. Thank you so much for having me, and God bless you guys. Of course. Um, Nicole, what's your reaction to what we just heard from April? And, you know, I want to ask Alyssa as well. Um, some of these barriers, are, are these consistent with what you're seeing or hearing from other parents? Oh, absolutely. Even till today, um, we have had a couple issues, mostly with the iPads, a mm. couple Chromebooks. We've uh, 
had issues with uh, one was like logged out. So we had to like, I'm thinking we're going to have to reset that whole computer. Okay. Then we have one iPad that won't stay connected to the internet for some reason. So we've been experiencing these same exact things, but uh, we have been fortunate enough to have uh, Courtney Language Art Elementary. They have been super supportive Good. of us. Um, we have been on the phone with them practically all day. And whatever uh, issues we've come across, they've been able to help us get through them. That's fabulous. Um, Alyssa, what would the coalition like to see from the mayor and her administration around this issue of assisting students and their families who are homeless? You know, I think we would like to see really robust wraparound supports. Um, I think there's so many different things that create barriers for homeless students. So, you know, I think we need really consistent access to Wi-Fi and devices. Um, I think we also need that support for parents and for grandparents who maybe aren't, you know, as comfortable working the computers. I think we need access to emotional health and support too. Um, you know, homelessness is traumatic in and of itself. And it I is. think students experiencing homelessness, especially during this time, have experienced a lot. And so I think, you know, we need that support for families and for students, that social emotional learning, that mental health support, um, trauma-informed care so that students can actually access school. Um, and I think fundamentally, too, you know, homelessness is a racial equity issue. We see that with the numbers in CPS. Um, you know, disproportionately students experiencing homelessness are students of color, um, and especially they are students who are African-American. So I think to fully address issues around homelessness, you have to also talk about race. Um, and I think you also, at the end of the day, have to talk about housing. Um, you know, ultimately, it's an issue of affordable housing. That's why we have so many students experiencing homelessness. So Alyssa, let me ask you a question very quickly, um, because something that April said, she said that in the shelter that there really was not Internet access. So this digital divide in Chicago that we're seeing popping up all over the place, how does that impact a student's education in the long term? I think that is a huge issue. Um, you know, we're still getting calls from shelters who need support um, around accessing Wi-Fi. And I think paper packets just aren't sufficient for students. And I think we're going to have students experiencing homelessness who might be further behind. Um, and that educational gap is going to be directly linked to that technology gap. Um, so I think Wi-Fi has to be accessible for students and shelters who already are facing um, you know, trauma and just limited physical space to be able to do their work. So I think Wi-Fi is absolutely critical to students not getting further behind in school. Now, do you receive funds as a part of your coalition? Is that something for people to uh, assist with your coalition as well? Um, we have grants and we know um, we have seen people. We had someone do an interview at the beginning of distance learning um, and did receive donations that we were able to give to families that we work with. Um, and was there any any case in which you uh, were expecting funds that did not arrive? So we have funding a couple different ways. We have it through the city. Uh, we also have private donations and uh, um, from the community, things like Amazon wish lists. Things of that oh, sort. Good, good. So how can people help? The way people can help is definitely um, donations. So donations of desks, school supplies, cleaning supplies, things of that sort. 
Um, we've gotten such a great response of donations of that sort and including snacks and waters and juices that now my next thinking is to think like five or six or seven months ahead. You know, what's going to happen at the end of this quarter? Will we still be in remote learning? Will I need to repurchase everything that we just purchased for another four or five months of remote learning? So even donations that are for specifically Sylvia Center are helpful too. So down that road, if more costs come up because we have to purchase more items, that funding is there yes. so we don't have to scramble and try to find it. Thank you so much, Amanda. That's Alyssa Phillips, education attorney at the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless. Also with us, Nicole and Amanda. They both work at Sylvia Center, a homeless shelter in the city's uptown neighborhood. I want to thank you all so much for joining us today and giving us such insight. Thank you. And that's today's Reset. For the most up-to-date information on the pandemic and how it's affecting your life, tune to 91.5 WBEZ or head to WBEZ.org. I'm Kimberly Agoen. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you back here tomorrow for more Reset from WBEZ Chicago. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.